Well, hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us this Communion Sunday. If you could have your bread and your cup ready so that we could conclude our worship time together this morning with uh, the partaking of the Lord's table and also have your Bibles. Uh, we're going to continue our series on 1 Peter called Stand Firm, where Peter concludes his letter to stand firm in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, before we continue, I just want to warn us about the danger of just kind of microwaving uh, spirituality or microwave spirituality where we kind of speed things up and we want to wait till the good part and not allow like the slow work of God to fully mature and develop. I think with Instagram, social media, you know, you know the, uh, with Twitter, with so many characters and Instagram with one minute videos, before you make it into IGTV, you want to make the quick application and quick uh, points of uh, pragmatic points where you could live out principles. And we look for sermons like that. But we've we got to be careful because, you know, in form structure and letter structure, especially like the book of Romans, for example, you know, 16 chapters, the first three fourths of it are all theological. They're all teaching. They're all about the holiness of God. Um, it's all about the righteousness of God. And then in chapter 12, the later one-fourth of it, it's about, hey, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We call that the paranesis. I guess all that to say is, uh, as we dig into First Peter, let's not rush the process. Let's trust the process and let the work of God and the teaching, before we get into the application, the application or the practical points. Let's go uh, allow the work of God. I, I'm reminded of that last week. I was in the mood for avocado toast and uh, I'm still trying to reach the uh, millennials and the Gen Z's but anyways I, I was craving avocado toast and we went through. I had my spicy sriracha aioli ready to that I put on top of the avocado toast. I had my toast ready and last thing was the avo, the avocado. And so uh, I pulled out the avocado and man, it was rock hard. It hadn't fully ripened yet. And of course, being the impatient man that I am, I said, I asked Google how to make avocados ripe faster. And sure enough, I saw a TikTok video of all things, a TikTok video of microwaving. You wrap, you cut the avocado, open it in half, take off the seed, you wrap it, microwave it for two minutes with a saran wrap. And after you microwave it, you put in a cold bowl of water and voila, what would have taken two weeks could now be done in two minutes and you would have ripe avocado toast. Well, I tried it, it was ripe, but it didn't taste good. It was pretty nasty. It was spongy. Uh, the flavor wasn't quite right. The texture was all mushy. It, it tasted burnt and radioactive. And I learned my lesson not to microwave through things. And as we go through First Peter, you know, I really wanted to get this done in six weeks right before Advent. But I felt like the Lord is telling us to take, my, take our time and just really allow the Word of God, especially the teaching section where... Uh, Peter lays down the foundation here 
in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 of blessing God. All right, so let's go ahead and turn to our text. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if, you, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 3, it starts off with this uh, greeting or this salutation of blessing to God the Father. It says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again. Now this word, uh, blessed be, the NIV translates this as praised be, is a Greek word, eulogetos, okay? Which means it's worthy of our recommendation or worthy of our commendation, worthy of our praise. It's used in Mark chapter 14, verse 62. Are you the Messiah, the son of the one who should be praised? So it starts off with blessing or praise be to God or worship God. We bless God. And eulogetos, it's um, where we get the word, Eulogetos, eulogy. If you're in a funeral, you speak well of the person, right? You, you praise that person, you commend that person, you bless that person uh, in front of their friends, in front of their family, and you honor their lives, and you bring worth uh, unto them. You know, there's this story about these two brothers who are just infamous and notorious for being cheaters, swindlers, disrespectful, and just mistreating everyone they ever had done business with. When one of the brothers died, one of the other brother was left to arrange his funeral. And so the surviving brother told the local priest that he would donate $10,000 into the church if he would just say that his brother was a saint. And the preacher said, so all I have to say is that your brother is a saint? And the older brother said, yeah, let's shake on it. So they shook on it. And the brother wrote the pay, the brother wrote the check and they moved forward. Well, the funeral was packed with local people curious as to whether the preacher would actually follow through on his word and say that this man was a saint, even though, even though everybody knew he was not a very ethical person. So the priest opened up with these words. As you know, the diseased was an awful man who cheated, swindled, disrespected, and mistreated everyone he ever did business with. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> now, 
this word eulogetos, it, it functions in the Old Testament as like a blessing or a prayer. It's a short acknowledgement of God where you pause and you bless God or you praise God. For example, in Psalm 41, verse 13, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. It's like a short, concise acknowledgement or blessing unto God. Psalm 68, verse 68, 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily, who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Selah. Let's pause. Blessed be God who bears us up. He's our salvation. Let's pause. But eventually... In the New Testament, this word um, eulogetos, it functions as like a, the, the Hebrew way of a baraka, which is a blessing. In other words, in the New Testament, where the Old Testament was like a short, pithy, concise blessing and acknowledgement to God, in the New Testament, specifically in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 10, and Ephesians 1, uh, verses 3 to 12, it turned into something special. It turned into the longest run-on sentence, two of the longest run-on sentences in the whole New Testament, in fact, in the whole Bible. So in the Greek, Ephesians 1, 3 to 12 is actually one long run-on sentence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So what Paul does is he's supposed to write the short blessing. And because he's been born again, because he's been made right, he's overflowing. And he starts writing, you know, bless God because he blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then he begins to enumerate and he begins to list down the spiritual blessings that he's chose us, which means election, that he set us apart, that he sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise, that he heard the gospel of truth, that the mystery of the gospel has been revealed revealed to us. So he keeps going on and on and on. And 11 verses later, he has one sentence of blessing unto God. And in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, this baraka, this eulogy unto God is from verses 3 to verse 12 also, or verse 10 rather, it's one long fragmented continuous run-on sentence. It's overflowing of blessing and praise and honor and glory unto God. And I really want to camp here and because we need to set this foundation because remember, Peter writes this letter to a church or to believers who are experiencing persecution. These people are experiencing not only rejection and not only resistance, but outright uh, resistance and persecution that they are being killed and mocked for their faith. This, is, this was during the time where Christians were being fed in the Colosseum. And there's a time of Nero where Christian, Nero would uh, burn Christians at his garden and say, oh, you are the, Christians are the light of the world. Well, I'll bind you up into my garden and I'll light you on fire alive. This is the type of persecution and resistance that the believers were experiencing, these elect exiles, remember last week? And, and so Peter here, he says, Hey, blessed be the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who caused us to be born again. And here's what I want us to, uh, here's what I'm trying to get at. Would you write this down? Here's the main point. A soul that has been born again 
produces a life of worship to bless God. Let me say that again. A soul that has been born again, that has been regenerated, that has been made alive by God, it produces a life of worship to bless God. And so before Peter gets into teaching and application of being loving to one another and being sober-minded and being, uh, being ready, all things at hand, and, and being prayerful, he's like, wait, wait, let me bless God first. Because a soul that has been born again, a person that has experienced new life in Christ Jesus, who's been regenerated from the inside out, whose heart before was a, a heart of stone, completely callous to the things of God. But when God spoke life, He made us alive and you've been born again. And a person, a soul that has been born again, it produces a life of worship that all you want to do is bless God. So why should we bless God? He says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, because born again, in verse 3 here, uh, Paul gives three prepositions or three aspects of our being born again. In theology, we refer to this as regeneration. Regeneration. Uh, the Greek word is anagenao. It means to experience a radical change in personality. It means it's a categorical, categorical change in state of, of who you are. It says that we've been born again for the basis of what? According to His great mercy in verses 3b. This answers the why question. Why? Why did God make us born again? What was the motive? What was the heart behind God making you alive? What was the reason? It says according to, the preposition, according to what? His great mercy. This plethora, this overabundance of mercy that God has for you. Mercy is this pity that God shows towards human beings in spite of their sins. And because of their total helplessness to right their wrongs, God chose to have mercy. The reason why you're born again is because God looks at you. We're unable to save ourselves. Remember, grace and mercy, they're kind of married together in the New Testament, where grace is something that we can't earn. It's a gift that's been given to us. Mercy is something that's withheld. Instead of God allowing us to just suffer in our sins, instead of God allowing us to make a complete ruin and destruction of our lives, God felt this mercy upon us. He withheld His judgment. He took his anger and his wrath deserved for me, deserved for you, and he laid it all on his only begotten son at the cross because of this mercy that he had. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Listen. We need to be born again because we are dead in our sins. Something that is dead in Greek is dead. Some, it's a 
something that's completely incapable of responding to outside stimulus. Why do we need to be born again? Because we are dead in our sins. We have no choice but to sin. That's why you could go to church your whole life. You could sit through Bible studies. You could be invited to church. And unless the Holy Spirit convicts you and changes your heart, unless, unless God says to your darkened heart, darkened understanding, let there be light, then boom, the light comes on. God regenerates. He makes you alive. You know, we had Bible study uh, yesterday morning. And one of the brothers was just sharing about like, man, I didn't get it before. I wasn't born again. You know, my wife was telling me, oh, you need Jesus. And he would curse and say, I don't need flipping Jesus. I don't need effing Jesus. I know God already. Jesus who? I don't need to. And for 26 years, he was resistant until God made him alive in Christ Jesus. Why did God do that? Because God had mercy. He doesn't, he looks at you. He looks at me. He does not want us to stay in the brokenness, in the bondage of sin. Because remember, Satan, he plays for keeps. He plays to, and he, he came to steal, to kill, and to destroy your life. And he wants to ruin you. Because you are made in God's image. And there's something made in God's image that just infuriates Satan. And he wants to bring all the forces of hell against your life. And God chooses to have mercy. You are born again according. Because God has mercy for you. Because you are his creation. From the womb, he knew you. Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are knitted in your mother's womb, that he formed you from the inward parts. Secondly, that we're born again for what purpose? To a living hope. Look at verse 3D, that we've been born again, praise be to God, because he made us born again to a living hope. And this living hope, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are full of hope, even though that's what it does. But a living hope means that we have a fixed hope. We, the, the object of our hope is what? The resurrection of Jesus. That we now, we, our hope is that because Christ has been risen, He's coming back again. We know that, as uh, Thessalonians says, with a loud shout... And the blast of a trumpet, Christ is going to return. And when he comes back, he's going to make everything right. All the wrongs in this world will be made right. Every injustice will be made straight into justice. Every crooked path will be made straight. And now we have a greater clarity of we have a greater clarity of what God will do for us in the future. The purpose that you've been born again is so that we would have hope now. That our hope is not in the government. Our hope is not in the stimulus check. Our hope is not in our 401k or our retirement or the equity in our home. Our hope is a living one that Christ is going to return. That's what you've been born again to. That's what God has made you alive in. And third thing here is the means of regeneration. It says, 
that we've been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this answers the how question. How did Jesus make you born again? How did he make you alive? Uh, the preposition here uh, means that it's an instrument by which something is accomplished. In other words, it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, that we are made new, that we are made to be born again. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 says, man, if God did not raise Christ from the dead, we are to be the most pitiful people in all the earth. Our faith would be in vain. Your giving would be in vain. The last year and a half you've been listening online would be in vain. Your obedience would be in vain. Your tears that you've cried out to God for healing would be in vain. The hours you spent on your knees uh, worshiping God you cannot see would be in vain if the resurrection did not happen. But because over 2,000 years ago, Christ rose from the dead. The fact and the reality of His resurrection enables our regeneration. It enables us to be born again. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 24? Very truly I, tell, I say unto you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and it dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. In other words, through the death of Jesus and through his resurrection, many were made alive. Our resurrection, would you write this down? Being born again changes your status before God. When you were made alive, Blessed be God. Praise God that He made us born again. Why? Because it changes our status before Him. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. When you were born again, when you received Christ, You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Not only that, but you have been healed. Emotionally healed. All the trauma, the abuse, the dysfunction that you've gone through. All the uh, physical healing, it's included on there. Your ailments. This is part of the benefits package of being born again. You have been healed. Your status before God, it changes. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Because you've been born again, your status before God is not, now what? You, have, you who are far, you have been brought, what? near you have direct access to god hebrews says that we are to come confidently before the throne not because of anything we have said or done or not because we went to church or read our bible or we tithe or we serve but because of what jesus has accomplished 
It's through his death and through his resurrection that we are made alive. And if we believe in him, if we put our faith in him, listen, your status before God, it changes. You're before you were sick spiritually, emotionally, maybe physically, but God, you have been healed. Your status before God, before you're far off, now you have been brought near. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that you've been born again, you could go before God and you don't have to worry about your failures, about your mistakes, of uh, how you failed God, how you cut that person off on your way to church, and how you mismanaged your, your time, how you wasted your money. Why? Because if you've been born again, He has cleansed you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God, you now have a good conscience. Jesus looks at you the father looks at you and he sees the righteousness of christ in you that his righteousness has been imputed romans 4 said that it's been credited to your account secondly is that being born again changes your lifestyle before others look at first peter chapter 1 verse 22 to 23 having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love, what happens? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Because God has made you new, not only does it reflect and change it's a game changer in your relationship with God, but also in our lifestyle and how we treat one another in our relationships. Peter says, we are to, because we've been born again, we are to earnestly love one another from the heart. And how can we not? Because, because Jesus loves me so much. Because I receive, I inhale, I intake, I dwell in the love of God for me, that I, how could I not experience that and live off that? How could I not give it to others? And that's why Peter says we could love earnestly, purely, that we could love sincerely. The word sincerely in, in Latin is sincera, meaning um, without wax, that we don't have any false uh, motives. Uh, may I say this to you guys that if you've been born again, not only how can you not love, but listen, you love those around you, not with your love, but you love the, the love that you receive that changes you, that transforms you, that makes you alive from God. You give it to those around you. You love with the love of Christ, which changed your life. And lastly, we'll go ahead and close with this. 
that being born again means that you are part of God's cosmic regeneration. Ooh, big words. What does that mean? Let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. What does this mean? It means that you and I are part of something much larger than this life. That I am much larger than here now. That my life is much more significant than my Lord willing 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth that we are part of eternity. Jesus says, in the new world. This is in fulfillment to Revelation 19 to 22, where God will create a new heavens and a new earth. Meaning, you guys, that we are part of a mosaic. We are part of a small tile of what God is doing for all of eternity. That what you do right now matters for all of eternity in Christ Jesus. When we serve Him, when we worship, when we partake communion, being the new creation in Christ, the new order of life here on earth, the new world, Jesus says that we, we're going to sit on the, He will sit on His glorious throne and you who have followed me will sit. And that we will partake in the kingdom of God and the affairs of the kingdom to come. It's a blessing, church. You know, Romans uh, says that salvation is nearer than we first believed, and that was over 2,000 years ago. And if you notice, we're in the last race until Christ returns, and we're running anchor it's usually the strongest runners that finish last, that finish strong. For some strange reason, we weren't born during the Reformation. We weren't born in um, 500 AD. We weren't even born in the time of Moses or Israel with David. But for such a time as this, we are called God has made us alive. We're called into His kingdom. And we're to be salt and light. What a blessing that God entrusts you, God entrusts me to run anchor in these last days until He returns. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, would you bless God this morning? Would you praise Him? He made you alive. When you and I were at our lowest point, when we were helpless, when we were hopeless, when we were harassed, when we were thrown down like sheep without a shepherd, God had mercy on us. He made us alive. He changed our hearts. He regenerated us. He changed us from the inside out. Would you bless Him this morning? Would you rejoice in the God of your salvation? 
Would you worship him? Let's prepare our hearts uh, for a communion this morning. Well, Jesus said to do this, eat of the bread and drink of the cup in remembrance of him. So, yes, we remember the excruciating pain on the cross. We remember his seven sayings, seven cries from the cross. Whether it's, Father, forgive them for they do not what they do. I thirst. Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We remember that, but we also remember what it accomplished. That because he died, we are able to live. We must remember the, the transaction, the beautiful exchange that happened. Because he was forsaken at the cross, we are forever loved. Because he was despised and rejected, we are now accepted. And so Paul says, um, I received from the Lord, which I now deliver unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Jesus, we love you so much. And we pray right now, Lord God, that we would walk into the newness of life that you have planned for us. I pray right now, Lord, that you'd fill our hearts with gratitude, fill our hearts so that we could be like Peter, we could be like Paul, that we could just go on and on and on and on about blessing you and worshiping you because you've been so good, you've been so faithful, and you've done so much for us. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning. Eucharisteo, the Eucharist, I give thanks. So we give thanks, oh Lord God, for living the perfect life that we could never live for dying our death on the cross that we deserve, but Lord, for resurrecting from the dead so that we could have life eternal. So as we eat this bread, would you right now provide strength? Would you provide sustenance that we could love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's go ahead and eat of the bread. In the same manner, after, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink this as often as you eat, for as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's go ahead and drink of the cup. Let's proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen.